0: From the Madison Metropolitan School District, this is Lead to Liberate, a podcast documenting stories of inspiration, growth, and empowerment across our schools.
1: Wow, I just love that music. Here we are again today, Lead to Liberate. I am Dr. Carlton D. Jenkins, very proud superintendent of Madison Metropolitan School District. Each week, we've been bringing to you a different individual that's really trying to impact our community, impact others. This week, like none other, is a special guest. Mm. We have a special guest that's been around just a little bit, and this very special guest is Mr. Greg Jones. Mm. How you doing, Mr. Jones? I'm doing great, great, great. Okay, well, welcome to Lead to Liberate. All right. And as you know, on Lead to Liberate, we jump right in. (laughs) We want to get the stories. This is a community person who's been here for quite a while, has a very interesting beginning. And so I wanna just start right off with that because we're trying to lead to liberate, but we also have to understand our past to understand what we're trying to liberate to. Yeah, so
0: Mr. Jones. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about it. When did you graduate from high school? I consider myself a transplant to Wisconsin and to Madison. I migrated to Wisconsin in 1973, the fall. That was after the experience of growing up in Mississippi, understanding and experiencing segregated schools. And in 1970, the state of Mississippi desegregated its high school. All of the black kids and all of the white kids converged at R.H. Watkins High School in the fall of 1970. That summer, I had spent in, in Joliet, Illinois with my father, My father lived in Illinois, mother in Mississippi. I worked at the steel mill, had a boatload of money in my pocket when I went back to Mississippi. I got back to Mississippi and my mama said, you have to go to R.H. Watkins if you wanna graduate. I said to her, I'm not going to Watkins. She said to me, yes, you are. I don't care if they're white, brown, blue or black, you're gonna go there and finish up and go to college. I said, yes, ma'am. That took me into R.H. Uh, Watkins. After high school, uh, I graduated and uh, applied to several colleges in Mississippi, including HBCUs, got accepted, Old Miss, and to Bishop College. I, my sister, and two other kids went to Bishop College. We spreaded our wings. We thought the world was changing. We wanted to take advantage of every benefit and right from the um, uh, 19 civil, civil, 1965 Civil Rights Act we spread our wings and went to colleges outside of Mississippi. Unfortunately, the financial aid, which my sister and I relied on, fell through. It didn't pass. We returned to Mississippi, did two years in junior college, and then went to UW-Eau Claire. There's a story behind that. In the uh, spring and summer of 1968 and 69, there were two African-Americans who canvassed southern black high schools and told us about state colleges in wisconsin illinois indiana minnesota four friends out of the class of 71 rh watkins high school went to uw eau claire they would come home christmas break summer break and tell their friends including my sister and two other girls about eau claire we decided the four of us to apply to eau claire we all got accepted we attended eau claire in the fall of 73, there were eight black kids from Law, Mississippi on the campus of UW-Eau Claire. That introduced me to a broader world uh, of black and white. My message be- from that particular story is this. We attempted to spread our wings, take advantage of all of the legal and constitutional rights and opportunities, and landed at UW-Eau Claire in the fall of 73.
1: You know, that's, that's amazing. You said you're legal, your constitutional rights. And I'm trying to understand because you're coming from Mississippi, Laura, Mississippi, and at that particular time, if my history serves me well, most of our black students were thinking about HBCUs. Yeah. And HBCUs, what's that? And why were you even thinking about
0: HBCUs? <laughs> what is an HBCU? Historically black college or university. Mississippi is well known for Jackson State. Alcorn, Mississippi Valley, those campuses and colleges were open to us. We knew they were places that we we were accepted. We would get an education, and we would become alums of those organizations and, and institutions. That's our place of presence. That's our place of pleasure. That's our place that we would be accepted. But remember, because the world, the doors we thought were open and society's doors were open, we chose to challenge ourselves and challenge society by attending white white schools. But remember, I was accepted at Bishop, went there, made the baseball team, ready to play baseball, and unfortunately, the financial aid fiasco. So my wife says today, there was something behind the message of God leading us to Bishop College, (laughs) returning us to Mississippi, then leading us to Eau Claire, or I would not have met her. (laughs)
1: <laughs> wow, <laughs> well, that's awesome. But tell me this could you go to any uh, PWI school, predominantly
0: white school, before then, like back before Dr. King? Oh, it was difficult. I think that a lot of uh, alums from Oak Park High School, the black high school that was closed before desegregation in, in the state, I think a lot of black graduates from high school probably did apply. Uh, didn't get accepted were turned out, but the message of that moment was that we were not accepting places for black kids Wow, we took that as a message of the moment. That was a history we dealt with and uh, as I said, it was a motivating factor for us saying to uh, uh, After we went to, got accepted to Eau Claire, we're coming. We're going. We're now opening that door um, at that white school,
1: so at a very young age, you had a
0: liberated mindset. Well, I think that was driven by my grandmother. Okay, who after the Voting Rights Act was passed, right? She watched her son and daughter, my my mother, and her youngest brother, who was a part of that extended family I grew up in, voted every year, every election, because they had a high school diploma. She could not vote mm. when that Voting Rights Act was passed. She put on her Sunday go to meeting clothes, took my brother, who's a year older, myself, and my sister, who's two years younger, walked with her to the polling place, cast her vote. Wow. And cried all the way going there. At the end of casting that vote, she said to us, Always vote. Wherever you are, always vote. So the meaning of voting and voting rights was so dear to her she took it seriously. That is a legacy that I think I carry with me, or a value that I carry with me in terms of this whole outreach and advocacy role that I try to play with the NAACP. I appreciate you say grandma, because that's what we call grandma. (laughs) Grandma's grandma. You never call my first
1: name, you know, where we're from. Sometimes it's underestimated the influence, the impact women have had on our society. So I need to know grandma's name
0: today. What's grandma's name? Put it in the space. The name was Cornelia T. Terrell Wells. Wow. That was her name. But the fundamental piece that I'm about to reflect on now really goes back to last week. Mm. Um, At the Oregon School District, they had a program called Lift Every Voice and Read. And they invited community people to come and read to the classes. I was assigned to uh, read to first graders, fourth graders, and sixth graders. I just want to reflect on the first grade experience that I had. So I go into this room and I tell them that I want to read about Bessie Coleman. Mm. And to my surprise, they were knowledgeable about black history, They knew some of the important uh, individuals, Martin Luther King and so forth. And when we talked about Bessie and talked about her role (laughs) as an astronaut, their eyes lit up, they all knew what astronomy was in general and what an astronaut was. But I say that only because here again was reflection on another African-American female who made history, determined the outcome of the lives of a lot of people. So, but getting back to what you said is that the role and function of women in our community was significant, foundational, fundamental. I know women in my family who were disciplinarians, who were teachers, who played all of the roles. Most importantly, what they wanted us to do was this. They wanted the boys to understand that they were free and that they should carry their sisters, their aunts, and more importantly, that they were equal footing. There were no powerhouses in my family. Those women played the role of leadership and so did the men. And and the man that I'm speaking of is Malcolm.
1: Wow, that's transformative. As we talk today, trying to make sure that everyone understands that all human beings matter. When we look at, no matter how someone identified, male, female, whatever identity they have, we all have a role to play. And I think about other like leaders here in Madison, you know, we have right here, a lot of people I don't even think know it, we have Marsha Anderson. Uh, here in our community she was the first two-star general Mm -hmm. in all of the armed forces in the united states and she's right in madison's community and i don't know how much we've celebrated her Mm -hmm. but when i think about during those times her coming up very much just like miss Wells, your grandmother they were under different times Mm -hmm. and had to go up against things and they were part of changing the trajectory for a lot of us who were recipients of their strong will sure so i just want to make sure i bring that out so that sure that value system that they put and all of us in particular like let's talk about your generation it has led you to be involved with the naacp how many years
0: oh uh, i joined the naacp as a youth in mississippi we had a youth council mm. way back in the day and then when, uh, as I said, migrated to Wisconsin, didn't have an NAACP uh, in, in Eau Claire, so that didn't exist. When I moved to Madison in 1982 with my wife, no children at that time, I reestablished my connection with the NAACP, Madison branch at that time. Worked with that branch all the time as a committee chair and various committees and so forth. Then in 2014, uh, the, the, the current, Branch The Dane County branch was chartered only because the Madison branch had uh, I think the Madison branch was established first in 1942 we can check the record on that it lasted for a long period of time and was very active and then in 14 the Dane County branch was chartered and it now covers Madison Stoughton and all the other municipalities within within it but my advocacy work uh, uh, really correlated to my retirement Mm -hmm. advocacy at the NAACP level. Because once I retired from state service in 2010, I found myself yearning for something to get engaged in. So the NAACP was an intersection between my desire for those early training values transmitted by grandmama, mama, and family, and the need for civil rights. And that was a year when he had some fundamental shifts in civil rights legislation, The year 2013 was the year when we know the Supreme Court made fundamental changes in terms of voting rights. Those kinds of values that were established back in 1965 when the Voting Rights Act was passed and my grandmama voted for the first time. And now in 2013, some restrictions put in place by our uh, uh, U.S. Supreme Court that cut back those rights was disturbing. That was a motivating factor for me to say, you know what? If we're ever going to be engaged in advocacy on a fundamental right like voting and voter protection, it is it. So that kind of opened the door, and then of course all the other advocacy uh, activities came in. Advocates advocating for education reform and change for our kids in the classroom, advocating for uh, you know uh, transportation and or uh, uh, labor law changes. So it all kind of collectively came together and uh, kind of promoted a little bit of action on my part, I would say.
1: Wow, so when we talk about the Constitution, and everyone, right, Mm -hmm. the Constitution hasn't necessarily been for all (laughs) as it was written. Mm -hmm. And when we start talking about the 13th Amendment, 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment, and even today, when we look at our voter participation right, right? And I'm talking about all racial groups, right? You know, we want to talk about the disparities of one group or the other group, but truly, we don't have a high voter participation right now right. in our local, right. which are very
0: important, our state, or our federal. Is, is, is that an accurate statement? I think it's very accurate, and I, <laughs> I watched the voter turnout data. Uh, in, in various, diff- various communities just to see what's going on. So I'll be checking with our clerk here just to get the most recent voter participation from uh, this spring election. But I wanted to reflect on that because in the Madison uh, Capital City, Hughes, you wrote an article that really reflected on uh, this whole question of civil rights access. And your tone and tenor of that article was essentially this, education. Education. As a civil rights. And I read, I read all the articles I do wow. every year, I read okay. them all. And so when you made that statement, that observation about the Constitution, you referred to our Constitution and its limitations as it applied to creating those opportunities and opening those doors for African Americans uh, in this country. So I'm going to try to take um, personal privilege here and say this. When you ask the question about uh, our Constitution, and it didn't serve everybody, and you reference the three that we think made the change, 13, 14, 15. You and I can sit here and agree that no, it has not. Mm -hmm. It was never intended to. Whether Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation as president or commander in chief, doesn't matter. The issue is simply this. We have always had a disconnect in terms of how people of color, particularly African-Americans, have been treated uh, legally and constitutionally in this country. Therefore, it's easy to get behind issues of equity, issues of inclusion, and push those for the betterment. So let me conclude by saying what I have observed in terms of the Madison School District, it has been uh, in the last couple of years, and I'm gonna say this under your leadership, one district that has really pushed the button to be more inclusive. If you look at some of the activities, actions, and initiatives you put in place, it is an effort to promote and meet the promise of those constitutional amendments, which hasn't been met, that may be a way of saying the following: If we don't make changes that will benefit those voices and individuals who whose voices aren't heard, individuals unseen, we don't have a reason for existing.
1: Right, most definitely. You know, and we do recognize, and I appreciate your comments. Uh, we can We are seeking. To form a more perfect union. <laughs> so I think there was some acknowledgement in that that it wasn't perfect. Okay. And I think we all have a responsibility. And even when we look at those amendments, and we think about the 14th Amendment, uh, in order to participate hmm. in our democracy, it says too that we know we have to be educated, okay. educated citizenry. Okay. So we have a responsibility in education to make sure that everyone understands how we'll govern mm-hmm. and to try to inspire individuals. But it's difficult because we know over time it has been the very Constitution that have held individuals back. Right. But we can't become discouraged. Nope. And I think people like yourself and many people in our community who have gone before, I think Ms. Well, gone before, knowing her situation, I think my parents, I'm a fifth generation, you know, of a slave, and just thinking about it. um, We have a lot of work to do, but I'm real encouraged when I see people on the front line, sacrifice. I think about Judge Mitchell, right? Can you even imagine Judge (laughs) Mitchell Uh
0: running for the Supreme Court Court in
1: 1968? We had more happen (laughs) during the Reconstruction period than since we have even since the voting, right, guy. Right,
0: so the issue is this. Go back to something you said earlier. I look at those outcome in elections in terms of percentage change, right. and I ask myself, what do we have to do to reach a level of percentage change that will tilt the scales on behalf of economic opportunity, inclusion, justice for all, not necessarily the candidate? And I ask myself, this can be done. We can open those doors and create those pathways for those people to come in, be candidates, compete successfully, and get into those positions and make the change we need it.
1: I want to know, because you're in this whole game of advocacy, we have a governor and we have the joint finance, we have other legislators, how do we get beyond the whole polarization that's taking place right Uh, now in politics and we bring together individuals from all sides and say, hey, you know what, right now we have a national crisis in reading Boom. 35%, so if you're telling me 35% of our children are proficient, 65%, come on. I mean, these are wealthy children. These are children from all races, all genders, however they identify, who are not doing well. So we have a crisis. It's a national security issue. How can we bring everybody in? Not calling them out, Mm -mm. calling me in and say,
0: let's have a real conversation. I think what you've done is now, you've asked the question, how do you uh, frame and crystallize the issue. And my recommendation would be this. We have to find a way to present information to everybody so that they can uh, relate to it, accept it, utilize it, and then respond to it. This is what I mean. We often like to define issues in a way that benefits a certain group, a certain party, or a certain segment. We can't do that anymore. We're going to have to come straight forward on issues where everybody can understand it and relate to it. Let's take reading, for example. The disparity in reading outcomes, whether it's New York or LA or whatever, are clear. People read that data and say, well, it ain't me and it ain't my children, why should I care? How do we now say to everybody, whether it's your child or someone else's child, reading is fundamental, reading is necessary. We have to find that way. And I don't think you can do it by having separate conversations. We gotta find a way to now involve people all across the community at the beginning of the conversation and then frame it and push it out. I don't think the messages can, we, we can continue to rely on messages of separation uh, and dislocation like we have in the past. What I liked about the message that uh, we heard in, in some of, in some of the recent elections uh, and let's take the, US, uh, the Wisconsin Supreme Court election. What some of those candidates were saying on some of the issues, not all, they were coming from a collective point of view. Let me try to clarify. The Wisconsin Supreme Court justices are primarily about interpreting mm-hmm. the Constitution, U.S. Constitution, Wisconsin Constitution, and laws. When I heard them say, I, I'm going to interpret the Constitution based on what I believe, What I heard them say is that there's a similar characteristic interpretation. Now, it may have differed in terms of how they're going to and what basis they were used. But I thought that's the beginning of at least a uh, concise, coherent message. Take an issue like, uh, uh, let's go back to education and reading. You've got now uh, certain groups suing states Mm -hmm. because of the lack of reading outcomes. Mm -hmm. Virginia, for example, the NAACP in Virginia took it upon themselves to push that issue in their state. So they're seeing some changes in terms of how do you provide reading resources to kids, grade school, middle school, high school. So what we're seeing is they are able to coalesce around issues on a broad basis. That's going to be tough because we have spent a lot of our time advocating for issues that benefit us. And I respect organizations.
1: Yeah. And I do tell you, I believe with every bone in my body that reading the right type of reading instruction can just change the course of our country. I agree. It strengthens our national defense. I agree. When we think right now how we have to look outside of our country for our innovators, hmm. we have to look outside of our country for those individuals who are probably going to resolve the issues of Cancer, when we look sure. outside of our country for anything dealing with artificial intelligence, when we have to look outside of our country to other to basically protect our own humanity. Mm-hmm. So in this case, I'm saying I agree with you wholeheartedly. This is not a Republican issue or nope. a Democrat issue or an independent issue. Nope. This is a human decency issue, and we have to come together And I would love to join with the NAACP, who's been the linchpin in our community, Mm. saying it's not just about us, it's about all of us. It is. Let's pen a letter to the governor and all the legislators and invite them in, not call them out, Mm. for a human decency discussion. And let's see how we can shape this $7 billion that we have right now in our reserve. I agree. In this state. I agree. And I believe it can put. Wisconsin in a different place altogether, and being the leader that we know Wisconsin could be. It can. That's the bottom line. No doubt. So, uh, well, I, I just tell you, it has been a pleasure and a history lesson for me having you here. <laughs> to Enjoyed know it. that I'm walking um, here in our community next to just a living legend. And I, I would encourage everyone out there, let's, let's just start acknowledging and celebrating. Big time. All of our people. Yeah. Who are doing great jobs there are people that you don't need a big title Mm-mm. you don't need the big job you don't need to be rich you don't need to be poor whatever just be a human being because and let's celebrate that okay so it. thank you mr jones for love being it. here on
0: lead to liberate <laughs> i enjoyed i enjoyed it and i love the title yes thank you we'll very much
1: look forward to hearing
0: uh having
1: our listeners back with us again as we will have another special guest okay. thank you so much okay
0: You're listening to Lead to Liberate, a podcast by the Madison Metropolitan School District demonstrating how the more we know, the more we grow.